0: I am here today for another episode of Coffee with Friends where we may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed. Also, please cease listening until you are able to listen again. With that being said, I'd like to welcome Ada to Coffee with Friends. Good evening, Ada.
1: Good evening. How are you? Well,
0: I'm here with my fabulous cup, you know. Somebody gifted me this cup last year and I kind of love it. So that's where I am. I'm great. How about you?
1: What does does it say on it?
0: F this shit.
1: (laughs) Uh. I'm doing good. I'm doing all right today. It's been a beautiful day here. Yeah. Yep. Sunshine shined all day long. Can you um, tell
0: me a little bit about yourself? Like, where did you grow up and where did you come from? Sure. Um,
1: I grew up a little bit all over the place. Um, I was born in Kentucky. Uh, my parents originally come from the Swartzentruber Amish, and I'm the youngest of 13. So I was born quite a bit behind all the rest, actually, like six and a half years behind all the rest. Oh, <laughs> so wow. They had- Yeah, they had 12 kids, and then six and a half years later, I was kind of a surprise. So you're
0: just dancing in at the end, like, hello, surprise.
1: Yeah, you know, it took them a while to get the right one, you know.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's the story?
1: That's the story I'm sticking with. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Does it help you sleep at night? Because I feel like it might, and that's okay.
1: Uh, Not really. I don't really think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I... Um, when when I was born, they lived in Kentucky, and we were, well, I mean, we would have we were, we weren't a part of an Amish church, but we lived the Amish life. Like we were actually stricter than probably any of the Amish that I know. I don't know any Amish that were as strict as what we were. Um,
0: Do you think that's because your parents were like Swartzentruber Amish?
1: Well. My dad left the Schwarzenegger Church because he didn't... The story that I always heard was that he did not agree with their courtship rules and they were using the phone and vehicles too much. Like, he did not want to use any vehicles or any phones whatsoever. Wait, and so, so
0: y'all didn't use any phones or, like, you weren't allowed to have vehicles?
1: Like... We did not allow to have drivers, not even drivers, no, not unless it was life or death and that was I can remember of one time in my life that we used a vehicle to go to the doctor because of I needed to go pretty bad, and he did not he really didn't want to do it that time, <laughs> Wow, I mean, yeah, you had to be you had to be really really bad off before he would do that. Fair um, enough. His his thing was to make himself look as different from the world as he possibly could.
0: Just because we are not of the world,
1: maybe. Yeah. I I I always had a hard time understanding his his philosophy or his belief, but well. he was he was definitely a different a different dude
0: sounds like a really really different type of lifestyle like even though like your parents were not like necessarily in the um in an Amish church like they were still like living a separate more isolated life than and 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 even like a different culture so like how did that like affect you as a kid like did y'all go to public school How, how where did you get your education from
1: Education,
0: <laughs> what's that right?
1: What is education? I don't know. Um, when I was born, we lived in Kentucky till I was 10 years old, okay. and while we lived in Kentucky, we were taught by my sister, my oldest sister. Um, and God bless her, she did the best that she could. Mm-hmm. Um, she only got the education that she was able to get. So it was basically the basics, you know? Yeah. And then whenever I went to, um, Tennessee, we moved to Tennessee when I was 10. And when we moved to Tennessee, there was a Amish community down there that we joined. Well, I say Amish community loosely. It was, it was different. They don't associate with any other Amish community. Okay. And so we were down there, I moved down there at the age of 10 and they had a schoolhouse and dad actually allowed me to go to school there. Um, dad, and mom did not go to church in that church, but some of the brothers and sisters did, even though they weren't supposed to, they were old enough to kind of do what they wanted to do. But he but did it, allow me to go to school there, and I should have actually been when I went to school there. I was in second grade at age ten. Oh wow, that's what that's what I equaled up. That's what it ended up. Mm-hmm. And I should I don't remember what I actually should have been in.
0: I mean,
1: like, is what it, grade I should have been?
0: Isn't a ten year old in like fourth grade or something like that?
1: It was fourth or fifth grade that I should have been. Yeah, something like that. I yeah I yeah I was imagine. I was in. I was in second grade. As you can imagine, that was pretty embarrassing. But, you know, I was just kind of grateful to actually be around kids. I had not been around any kids that my whole life. Oh, wow. Other than than the people that came to visit us. And, you know, we did a lot of, we raised a lot of produce. And mom did a lot of baking. And in the wintertime, we had a butcher house and we butchered pigs. and and, uh, Sometimes we'd butcher cows for people, mostly pigs. And because we were the only Plain family in that area, I was I mean People would come to get their stuff And I was this little tiny little Amish girl Walking around and They were I, I got a little spoiled, you know So I, I did get to see people But I wasn't a lot, you know I didn't have friends or there was no other Amish kids Around or anything like that So to be able to actually Associate with other kids was like, wow This is cool You got. Did you get to have friends finally? Yeah. Yeah. I get got to finally have some friends. And that's actually kind of why we moved to Tennessee because where we lived, all of my brothers and sisters were leaving home. Mm-hmm. And dad decided that maybe, I think he thought maybe he could save the family if he moved to Lobeville, which was an area where there was other families. And a few of them had already left and went to that area so, I think he thought, well, maybe if I go down there where the kids can have some friends, that maybe that'll save and keep them home. It didn't, but yeah. I, yeah. Didn't. I think that was his hope.
0: Gotcha. Well, that's interesting. We do have um, somebody named Mac who says, Hello, Ada. I finally found y'all. I mean, I found y'all. Okay. <laughs> do you know a I'm Mac? Mac.
1: And How then- are you doing? um but yeah it was i was actually talking earlier when i was taking some amish people home we were talking about toys we got to talking about toys and it made me realize that i didn't have any toys growing up that i was given by my parents wow and i you know and i don't say that that part you know to badmouth anybody it was just it just kind of came to me and i was like i did i had a few toys but they were given to me, and I don't, I don't ever remember because we didn't celebrate birthdays. There was no birthdays. There was no holidays celebrated. Um, so there like- was no. This truck is pulling in here next to me, um, but yeah. So I don't ever remember them actually buying, buying any toys. Yeah,
0: fair enough. I mean, so like even like typically like in like my um, older Amish communities and even in the ape Troyer community that I lived in, like there were there were still toys for the little kids, like the really little kids. Yeah. Like like I had a bull, and um yes, it was a faceless bull, but I, I at least had a book like that was like I at least had that and like there were some other toys that we would have too like I remember Lincoln Logs and you know other wooden wooden toys like a marble roller and stuff like that like but some of it did come from our parents so I think you're right when you say like your dad he was definitely a little different I guess Yeah, Susie says, yes, your dad was a very different, was a different guy. Yeah, that's my cousin, or she's married to my cousin. Oh, gotcha. Hi, Susie. And Marlene says, in PA, being 10 in second grade isn't too unusual, as up until recently, you didn't have to start elementary until age eight. This law changed recently. Well, in the three Amish schools I went to in PA, no, I lied, four Amish schools I went to in PA, um, at age 10, I would have been in fourth and fifth grade. So, I mean, I think yeah. maybe it also depends on communities, too.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, it, it definitely does. So um, I, go ahead. But just to add to that a little bit, I do I do have my GED. So, good for I you. I did go do that, and I I had uh, I went to college for a year. Actually, it was a little bit over a year, and I got a like a community college. hmm And I did the work. I got a diploma in um, accounting, and in man, my brain just went dead. What was the other one? I was going. You were going. Wow. Well. What were you going to school for? Sometimes I, I just, my brain just fails me, you know. But anyways, I was going for one thing and I ended up doing the work for two different things. So I got two diplomas in the amount of time that I had to do one.
0: That's amazing, Ada. Mos says, hey, you all, I'm listening. Hi, Mos. Welcome. Hi, Mos. So... Anyways, so, like, now you're in a place where you drive people, right? Is yes. it okay to talk about that a little bit and, like, why we're talking today?
1: Um, yeah, I moved, well, I left home at 17. Um, um, we lived in Ohio at that time. And... I moved in with a guy that had I found him in the newspaper. I was looking my vet. I had started to clean house for this lady and my dad didn't like it because I was using her electric things to clean her house and that was a no-no because we could not use electricity. So he gave me an option either to move out or quit the job. Those were my two options. And I was 17 and I was not happy with where I was. I was not happy with myself. I was not happy with life. I was miserable. I was a miserable human being. And I knew I needed a change and I knew it was time to go. And so I um, started looking in the newspaper. I didn't know what to do. I had really never really used a phone. I just started looking in the newspaper for somebody that was looking for somebody to come work for them. And I found this ad for this guy that had His wife had died of cancer and he had four kids and I, he had a phone number. He was looking for a live-in nanny. And so I one late one night after dark, I walked up the road. Um, There was a phone shack up the road from where we lived and I walked up the road. I knew the neighbors could use it, but I had absolutely no clue how to really how to use a phone. I mean, I, I had never dialed a phone number. And I'm like, I got to figure this out. So I did. I called him and he hired me on the spot.
0: Just and like, I hear you talking and I'm just like, you were more sheltered than I was as an Amish 17 year old.
1: Yeah, I was. I mean, I was in ways, yes. And in other ways, some a lot of the family had already left the Amish. So, or left our, I use that. When I talk about us being Amish, I was so used to us talking about ourselves in an homage because that's the way we lived so I use that in a loose term as far as even though we weren't a part of a church it's just the way we lived or whatever but yeah so a lot of them had already left so and they would come back home and visit sometimes so I did have some ideas of things but as far as I really yeah I hadn't, hadn't really done anything and I walked off the road and I figured it out and I called him and he hired me and that Sunday, I called my cousin to see if she could pick me up. I sat dad and mom down the night before and told them I was leaving. And I was with him for like a year. And then my sister came up, moved me down to Tennessee. I lived down there for like 17, around 17 so years. Had two kids and ended up moving back up here in 2013. And when I moved back up here, i I was a single mom. I had two kids. And I didn't have a job up here. I did have a house to move into. I had got that taken care of. And so we moved up here. And a friend of mine had advertised in the newspaper for Amish driving. For taxi service. Mm -hmm. Because that's what she does. And so I figured, you know, I had a minivan. At least I could start out doing that. I needed something right away to start on. Right. And... So when I moved up here, um, she started giving me a few trips, and it was two weeks later I had my first work route. Um, I also started an office job at the same time. For the first several years I lived up here, I worked in an office, but yeah, that was kind of when I started hauling Amish, and I've been doing it for almost 10, June will be 10 years. Oh, wow. And so I run, right now I run three work routes, and that's pretty much all I do. I do some in-between, but I don't do a whole lot of shopping trips and stuff. I stay busy with my work routes. and
0: Well, work routes are kind of a lot. I mean, like, so here's another question for you that I didn't think of earlier, because that's really interesting. So now you drive for Amish people. Like, what, what language did y'all speak in your home? Dutch.
1: Same, same as the Amish.
0: Okay. So even though, like... Maybe you didn't attend Amish church. Like, you're like, are are you aware that there's actually like a higher occurrence of certain, like, genetic disorders with people of Amish ancestry? Yeah, I've heard I've heard some of that already. There's a there's a whole database out there if you didn't know that, and there's actually like Amish specific genetic disorders, by the way. Really?
1: Yeah, I did, yeah. I didn't I guess I yeah. didn't really know
0: that. There's there's one. There's one with our last name,
1: by the way. <laughs> What's that?
0: Byler liver disease. Really? Yes, ma'am. Well, I uh, don't, our i just, fam- Go ahead. Fam-
1: ha, go ahead. You're good. I was just going to say I know our family has enough health issues anyway, so but liver's yeah. not one of them though.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I I thought it was interesting when I realized that. But anyways, regardless, like part of the reason that we wanted to have a conversation today is because, you know, people often wonder, like, what is going on? Or like, how can we better? How can we prevent child abuse? And how can we prevent child sexual abuse? April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. It's also um sexual assault awareness month so i mean just off of the top of your head do you have anything you can think of that maybe could benefit people when it comes to like preventing um child abuse
1: well the the home that i grew up in we definitely had that issue in our house um I think that there is so much emphasis, emphasis, now I can't talk, say the word for me, Mary. Um, Emphasis? (laughs) Emphasis, that's right. Uh, Put on being quiet and not being allowed to speak. And I think as a whole, as people, we need to become more comfortable in speaking about it yeah and um i mean i know it's it's a subject that's that's hard to talk about and it's it's uncomfortable and but if we can become more comfortable in talking about it our children can become more comfortable in open opening up to us um i know myself as a mother um i i can talk about this because my daughter would not mind um My son's father abused my daughter and just talking to them and checking on them and making sure that our children are aware of what's out there and being open with them. I mean, I just, I never, you know, with my kids, I was always... I would talk to them about things, you know, I didn't hide things from them. I didn't, you know, as far as like growing up, we weren't allowed to talk about anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't allowed to even talk about, you know, that time of the month. Yeah. And when you keep these things from children, it makes them, I mean, my opinion of it is, is that it makes them feel like it's a bad thing. and and um yeah i may i yes please
0: so one when there is silence around things that are normal like things like for example if like So for me, like, I don't know about you, but in Pennsylvania Dutch, I didn't have words for my private body parts. So one, I couldn't communicate appropriately and I said somebody, you know, it's, it's below the stomach or it's my stomach. I said, my stomach hurt. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't either or or things like that. And so that's a way, like if you teach your children appropriate body parts, Right. That's one of the big things is you're giving them language to describe what is happening to them. If you teach your children, it, and if you don't have words in your language for it, use 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 English. I mean, something. Yeah, there has got to be a way for children to communicate. But also, what Ada was saying about being open, I will tell you that I have. One of the proudest moments in my life is when my child is sitting with another child and all I hear from my child is, I did not consent to that, do not do that. Like that that means that I've done something right because they're able to verbalize, I didn't consent to that, I don't want that. And I think that teaching our kids bodily autonomy starts when they're very young. And it starts by like, teaching them that their voice matters yes and their voice Absolutely. matters even when they're five years old and they say i don't want to hug uncle joe Yep. i don't want to be around aunt susie can we please
1: I, not can we please not use that name again <laughs>
0: i'm sorry i don't want to be around aunt jemima
1: no but, not that one i'm talking about the first one you said
0: oh uh, my bad I, I, okay. I won't use that name. Um, but like, you know, if your kid says, I don't want to be around uncle, I don't want to be around aunt, I don't want to be around cousin, like be curious.
1: Well, I, you know, as a parent, we, we can kind of, I mean, we should yeah. be able to kind of know there's a, if they say that there's probably a reason. There's a reason why. Because and, most children don't just say that without a reason.
0: No. And as Moe says, I have a lady sitting close by that's listening that was sexually abused by her older brother. And the crazy part is she got spanked for it. Me too, Moe. Yeah, me too. And, And I'm so sorry that happened to you. You did not deserve that. That is not right. It is inherently blaming you for being sexually abused when you get spanked for it. Yep. And it's not okay. No child deserves that. Nobody deserves that. And no child asks for that.
1: Yep. I, I, yeah, that.
0: Yeah. But going back to like how we teach our children, when we teach our children, like bodily autonomy and consent, when our kids say no, we respect that. We don't force our kids to give us hugs. We wouldn't like that as adults. Why do we treat our kids that way?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Like, and, and another thing is, is, so I was looking on a website, and I was looking at a couple different points that were brought up in regards to, it's by the Washington State Department of Children and Youth, Children, Youth, and Families. And, and one of the things they say is, like, get involved with, like, you know, volunteering your time with other parents, help vulnerable children. How do you help vulnerable children?
1: Well, you, um. first of all, you don't worry about putting yourself in the middle of something. If you see somebody in harm or if you see harm being done, then you it's time to step in.
0: May I share something slightly disturbing? Sure. One of the big things about my cases is that after I had reported and they were arrested, and for those who are unfamiliar, I reported it after I escaped and there were five people in my immediate family arrested, three of my brothers and my stepfather and my biological mother. One of the neighbors invites me over for dinner and says to me, well, I saw you that one day and I really thought something was going on, but you have to understand, we have to preserve our business relationships with the Amish community here. Yeah, that's the problem. Number two, when I was a small child, I had things going on that shouldn't have been happening. And I was taken to an actual medical doctor. And they now they did what I know now as, as an adult and as somebody who has worked in medical since 2005 was they did the questionnaire, and because I didn't speak English well enough, they brought in my egg donor to translate for me, and she lied to them. When I said yes, she told them no, and then she told me to be silent. Number three, about a year ago maybe, Winston's of the Amish came out, another neighbor kid from when I was even younger, and this would have been when my biological father was still alive because he died when I was five, um, told me that her mother just didn't know what to do, but she always talked about how much she knew that there was abuse going on in that home. So if you don't know what to do, intervene, report it, something. Because how many more children are like that out there? Because everybody says, well, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Well, and I, I've even heard this one. I didn't know that, that Amish people, you know, I can report that to children Youth Services.
1: Oh, geez.
0: Let me tell you that I don't care what community it's in. If you see a child being abused and you do nothing
1: you're just i'd ask
0: you i'd ask you what kind of a person are you that you can sit there and justify not doing anything amen it is awful and you don't you don't do that one of our listeners says sounds like your neighbor was seeking absolution. Yeah, absolutely. Like and I'm not giving them absolution. I will talk about that as much as I need to because I need people to understand that when it comes to child abuse, child abuse happens inside of groups of people. Nobody
1: is exempt. Exactly. Exactly. So, See, I was I didn't talk ahead. to any I didn't talk to anybody about it until after I left home. I mean, There, I'm sure, as far as there is nobody that would have known other than within the family. Yeah. But I didn't have, I mean, there was, it was not talked about. I mean, I had nobody to talk to. I mean, I remember, I could not tell you when, when I started getting sexually abused. I, it was as far back. I mean, it's some of my very first memories as a little girl and all the way up to, I don't know, 11, 12, probably maybe 12, 12, 12 or 13, actually, I think it was.
0: That's absolutely awful. Thank you. And,
1: you know, I mean, when I was younger, at the younger age, it was much more, it was much more often. But yeah, there was nobody, there was not a single soul to go to. I had zero people that I could talk to about it. And I don't remember talking to anybody about it until I left home, and I'm not even sure exactly how long after I left home that I actually talked to somebody about it.
0: Um, did, you, did you even have words for it?
1: I mean, after I after I left home, and I, I mean, I always knew that it was it was wrong because I got spanked for it some a couple times. It wasn't I didn't get. Sp- if we got caught I got spanked And I was always a little tiny girl And they were a lot bigger than me I mean we're talking about You know yeah. In their teens and up And I never could figure out why I was getting my hind end whooped Because I was tiny I mean I was You know we're talking about 3, 4, 5, 6 years old that I remember that happening Um
0: it wasn't your fault. And you didn't deserve that. And you must certainly didn't deserve that. But the spankings to being caught. I know this is hard for many people to listen to. But understand that this is what Ada lives
1: with. I mean, I... um I guess I never dealt with it. I never... I always just thought I was okay. I, um... I just, I I don't know, I guess I stuffed it down. And I just assumed I was all right. Janelle is a very powerful coping skill, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And And it wasn't until a few years ago that it came back to haunt me. I mean, and I've realized since then, you know, uh, and over the last three or four years, I've, I've been doing some counseling and stuff, and I've learned a lot about myself. And I've, I've realized that a lot of the, the choices that I made as in my younger years, the men that I chose to be with that also abused me was because I had never dealt. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a little bit emotional. You don't have to talk about
0: this if you don't want to, Ada. You no,
1: it's that? okay. I mean, I don't mind, you know, if, I mean... if my story can help one person. Yeah. Then it, then it, then I've done one thing good in my life. I mean, I, my message, I think that I want people to, if, if you have children that have been through these things, get them help. That part, get them help. Don't wait until they're grown. And it comes back to haunt them. Um, you know, my daughter, like I said, my daughter was abused. And I put her into counseling. And, uh, you know, I went through it with her. And she's she's awesome. And <clears throat> now, you know, when I think about it, I if, if I would have had the help that she had back when I was younger. And if I would have thought about it when I left home and gotten help. But... Yeah, if, if you have children that go through these things by whoever that it happens by, they need they need help more than i, I mean, and, and more than we can give them as parents. It doesn't matter how good of a parent we are. They yeah. might not need help for long, you know. Just just you know, it's they need help. Letting yeah. them talk to someone else helps. Well, and truthfully, like, I would even go
0: so far as to say, like, if your child has experienced trauma, go find them a licensed, qualified trauma therapist, somebody who specializes in trauma.
1: Yes, a regular
0: counselor doesn't necessarily have the knowledge. Yes, be able to work with children that have experienced trauma like that. And absolutely. One of our listeners says, Ada, our hearts go out to you. And we understand as yes, as you are not alone. And another one says, totally understandable, holding safe space for you as you process this.
1: Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all.
0: And then um, somebody did ask this, but feel free to not answer it if you don't want to. Um typically feel like people walk a journey after trauma it's not necessarily something that goes away for many people especially when it's repetitive childhood trauma during our stages of development it can be like it causes neurobiological changes in the brain and so it's really up to you if you want to answer the question have you dealt with it now I'm still dealing with it
1: I'm in a better I'm in a better place than I was at one time, but no, not not everything. I mean I'm still I suffer from PTSD. I deal with nightmares and I deal with <sighs> oh, crap. Yeah.
0: It's something you live with. It's something you learn coping skills with. Exactly. Is that correct? Yes. It's, it's something that when you think it's, it's gotten better. And you think you've worked through all of your trauma. One day you're at work or you're at the grocery store and somebody does something and you're
1: back there and you're reliving that. And you constantly, I mean, just, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a process. It's, you have days when it's just, you're depressed and you, um, You don't feel like you're good enough.
0: Yep. That's what it teaches you when you experience that much trauma
1: as a kid. And, you know, something, you know, as a little girl. And, you know, this is something I have been really hard on myself about as I've gotten older is the choices that I made in men for the fathers for my children, because neither one of them. Um, neither one of them had. A father that was you know my daughter's dad he never wanted to be in her life he was never you know and that's that's a whole other thing my son's dad is an abuser and i was hard on myself about that like how could i ever give these children a father like this because they deserve to have a father and i you know i seen them pay for the fact that they haven't had a dad in their lives and so I was really hard on myself, and I have learned through going through counseling that I had no idea how to choose a man. We had this thing. I mean, when... I had literally, I, I, and I still to this day, I struggle with feeling like I've never been loved by a man. That
0: sounds horribly. Like alienating and isolating. I'm so sorry, Ada.
1: Do you believe that you deserve love, despite the trauma? I mean, you know, my dad—he was not a good guy, and you know, I mean, I—I I do believe that there was some sort of a peace found at the end, and he did change a lot in the later years. And I don't say that to make excuses for him. Please don't take it like that. I just, you know, he was not a good guy. And there was no direction in how you go about growing up. You know, there was no direction in how you go about finding a mate or what you should look for. Or there was no.
0: What are red flags?
1: Yeah, what are red flags? And there was no, you know, love yourself. There was no love yourself.
0: We really have to good. teach
1: our children to love themselves, yeah. And we you, you don't teach them that. How are they? Spo- you know. You know
0: what I mean? Like, yeah. So, are you saying that when we don't teach our children that love is um, something that is like repetitive? It's repeatedly shown through acts and words and deeds that that show your children that you love them when we don't do that are we invalidating our children's existence and are we teaching them that love can be weaponized do how do we look at and define love when our only idea of love is that love is pain right or that love hurts right exactly are we, like, if we teach our children we hit you because we love you, are we teaching them that love is pain? Um, and I I think that's a really important point, actually, Ada. Thank you for bringing that up. And also, we love you here. And our listeners love you here. And then we want you to know that well, thank you. you are valued. And thank you for your voice. Your voice means a lot. So we do have another question. Um, this comment is kind of long. Um, so often people will realize something is wrong, but have nothing specific to report. I think this actually happened with the child selling case, the child gifting case. Is that what you're talking about, Rachel? Um where a neighbor reported it, but it didn't get investigated because there wasn't enough of info. So how does one report when it's just that gut feeling combined with things that really aren't significant enough to give any probable cause? The thing is, is they tried reporting it. So they at least tried doing something, even if it didn't get investigated. Yeah. Heard
1: enough to try. Yeah. At least try.
0: And even it is, though. its
1: It's frustrating because sometimes you try and you get nowhere.
0: Yeah, you really do. And I'm not sure what we were talking about, but Susie says, yes, I have learned so much with that. Kathy says, I'm so sorry, Ada, that this has happened to you. Love you. I've seen a lot of this from fostering children. That is, yeah. Horse therapy is great. I've never done horse therapy. I have done a variety of other
1: therapies. I was actually supposed to do horse therapy last year and I never got around to doing it because a couple of appointments that I had, I was not feeling good at the time and I couldn't go. And so, but I really would, I think that would be great.
0: Yeah. Um, Emerald the, says, I hear you guys flashbacks are so hard. Right. They really are. Thank you for validating that. You know, I
1: I don't know if this is the right time to say this, but I I just I want to tell everybody something that that they might be be able to think about, and something that I have come to realize with what I have dealt with. There are very few people. Well, I shouldn't say there's very. I don't, I don't want to say there's very few people that understand, but there is a lot of people that don't understand that can be around you when you're going through these things. A lot of people that maybe are in your lives and that you know that don't understand what you're going through. And as human beings, something that we can do to help others is to be thoughtful and to think about other people and what they're going through and how we can help them during that time or how we can try to understand what they're going through. Because so many times we can see what somebody goes through and judge them or whatever, but if we just take a moment and try to understand what they went through and try to understand where they're coming from, it can make such a difference.
0: Yeah. I think like also, like I want to add to that when you go and you start supporting survivors of trauma, number one, the number one thing that you can do is you can empower them to be able to take control of their own life. And when you do that, they are able to feel like a whole valid human being. They are able to learn bodily autonomy. They are able to learn that they are able to say no. They are able to learn and recognize red flags in relationships.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: Um, somebody says, I was told by a counselor to read the book, Our Body Remembers. That was an eye opener. Another book that some people find benefit from is The Body Holds Trauma. If you've never heard of it, it's, it's on Amazon, I think. We love you, Ada. And then here's a, you, really, here's a really good point. Being raised in a world where love is transactional, we can't make good choices. So how do we learn to make good choices when we're raised in a world where love is transactional?
1: Become more self-aware.
0: Also by practicing making choices. Yes. Because I don't know about you, but like, you know, I knew that if if like my stepfather said that I was supposed to do blah, 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 that's what I was supposed to do. If he told me how to wrote enigme, then that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: up, in, yeah, up until I left home, I had to do what dad and mom said.
0: Yep. So, when people come out of situations like that, how do we support them? And I think based on everything I have learned about trauma and everything I have learned about myself, my own life experiences, And people, what people have shared with me is when you get people who exit a community like that, or who exit a situation like that, where they haven't had the ability to make decisions for themselves, the very first thing you can do is give them every single opportunity that you can to make decisions for themselves. You do not make decisions for them. You do not tell them where to go. You do not tell them what to do. The only time that I would deviate from that is when it is when somebody's life is at stake. Right. That's it.
1: Yeah. Other Just than be there that, to
0: support. you do not have to agree with the choices or decisions that these people are making when they exit a community like that. You do not have to agree with them. You really don't. I support people every day that make decisions that, aren't decisions that I would probably make. Probably because I've had a whole different life experience and probably because I see the world a whole different way than they do. But does it mean that either of our ways is wrong? No. It simply means that I need to walk with them where they are and accept them where they are and also build them up so that they are able to analyze and critically think and ask them questions about how can I best support you? What makes you feel better when you're feeling this way? Like that's, that's really important. What are some red flags? What are the things that like affect you? And I think we as parents can really teach our children to be able to critically think we can encourage that. And we can also do that for people that come out of these communities and out of these abusive situations, regardless absolutely. of what group of people it's from. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure what we were talking about, Emerald Thunder. If you can remind me, it says I think that the that hits the nail on the head. Hashtag trauma bonding. Yeah. Yeah. It seems if all someone knew were abusive men, and unfortunately, they tend to be attracted to those type of men. Not always the case, of course, but I see it a lot. Well, part of it is, is like, if abuse is all you've ever known, do we have the capability of, or do we have the tools and the skills to be able to
1: identify something is abusive? Did you have those skills, Ada? Well, I think, for me, what I have recognized in myself and the reason that I made the choices I made was I was so desperate for love. Mm-hmm. I was miserable. I was always felt unloved. I felt like I was a nobody. I felt like I was never going to be anything. And kind of like my daughter's dad, kind of like the first guy that kind of really paid me attention and whatever I mean I didn't realize that wasn't love yeah and so that was what I ended up with and then you know I went through a bad relationship with him I was physically abused by him some and and mentally abused verbally abused and I finished that relationship, and here was this other guy, which was my son's dad. And he was, you know, he said all the right things, all of the right things, and made me feel like a thousand dollars. I mean, a thousand dollars. Wow, that's not even much. <laughs>
0: wow. Are you trying to say he made you feel like a million bucks? Yeah,
1: that was what I was trying to say. He made me feel like a million bucks. And The next thing I knew, you know, we we were, I was in an over 13 year relationship with him and he was never really physically abusive, but uh, he was, you know, he was a drunk and he was, Oh, you know, I mean, I went through hell with him and I, I really truly believe for me, it was just that need for love. It was that I have not felt this love, but then it wasn't the right kind of love. It wasn't really love.
0: Mm -hmm. and you weren't necessarily able to identify that yeah
1: I mean how can I identify what love is if I have never really been loved by a man you know I mean
0: or even if like your familial relationships have been based on transactional love more so than like love for who
1: you are right um I will say that you know I never I never doubted the love of my mother. My mm-hmm. mother was not perfect. Um but I never doubted her love and and you know I I, I felt love from some of, mm-hmm. a couple of my sisters and uh of you know a, a few of the older a couple maybe of the older brothers but um, like I said there was 13 of us so there was a bunch but yeah for the most part I felt very not a part of the family i didn't feel like i was a part of the family i was the black sheep i still am for that matter but and i'm i've gotten to where i'm okay with that but you're in good <laughs> company i'm also right. a black sheep.
0: yeah well yeah. i always um, say i'm the i'm the black rainbow sheep of the family so here we are um, yeah Susie says i put our daughter in horse therapy and it was great in the healing process yes i've i've heard that from several people that horse therapy has been really good
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Another blessings to you, ladies. I gotta go and be with the family. Oh, hope you enjoy your family. Blessings to you too. I think that making decisions for ourselves helps us to become increasingly self-aware.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: I I one I, I agree. Yep. Yeah. Something about becoming attached to our abusers through being traumatized, Stockholm syndrome. That's all that I remember. Well, the thing is, is abusers don't abuse 100% of the time. And that's something that people fail to understand. It's like sometimes abuse can go in cycles where it's like, and it may not even go in order, like a specific order, but like abusers can do something one day (laughs) that makes you feel like they actually genuinely care about you and the next day they're abusing you
1: yeah Yep.
0: and then that causes like all of these conflicting feelings inside of you and especially when you're a kid and you don't have words for it and you don't have anywhere to go and you don't have support and you know there's no way that leads to safety for you like that really yeah black sheep of the world unite woohoo hey you know you what we got this we're I, doing
1: um, it i always really struggled and still as an adult and even my you know my dad doesn't live in it neither of my parents are alive anymore and um i still struggle with it that you know as far as i know as far as i remember my dad never abused me mm-hmm. uh, as far as not in that way um mm-hmm. there was a few beatings i got that i probably shouldn't have got but before I was born, and I'm not you know, going to talk much about this. It's not my story to tell. But there were others that he did. And there were stories that I have heard that that would just absolutely make your skin crawl. And, and so I always had this. He was my dad. And because I did not have those exact experiences. And I didn't really know about them as a little girl. He was my dad. So I always had somewhat of a love for him. Mm-hmm. But then as an older woman, I would hear things that he did and it would make me sick. Every time I would feel love, then I would also have this feeling of sickness.
0: Turns your stomach, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, like how could you even feel love for somebody like that? And, you know, honestly, I'm not going to lie, I still struggle with that. Um. I don't know you know I it's just I think it's something that you probably always struggle with when you've been through a situation like that you know
0: that sometimes
1: you 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 wonder
0: it's really confusing and it's also a big deal to like navigate through those conflicting emotions but both of those things can be true it can be true that he wasn't abusive in that way towards you it can also be true that he he didn't necessarily, like, he he had moments where where he made you feel like he really cared about you.
1: Yeah. My favorite thing that I used to do with him was when, you know, I was the youngest, so we would go to town together sometimes. And so that was, you know, the few times when, you know, we'd be able to go to town and he would get something to eat, like an ice cream cone or, you know, you, we didn't get things like that. Mm-hmm and but then to yeah. learn about
0: the things that he did and the things that you heard hear about what he did to other children yeah that can also make your stomach turn it does exactly it does. like those feelings are valid all of them yeah. so anyways regardless Going back to like um, our whole topic, we're about to wrap this up. Uh, I I wanted to like talk about this part real quick on this list of ten things. Um, it talks about like sub- teaching children their rights and educating yourself. Like, know what child abuse is. Know the signs of child abuse. Report abuse and invest in kids and teach like when they talk about teaching children their rights they're talking about teaching children they have the right to be safe when they are taught that they have the right to be safe children are less likely to believe that abuse is their fault even if abuse happens does that make sense yes and I'll put a link in the comments for y'all so y'all can go read that if you want more information about that specific article. It's just kind of like a, a helpful tool and, and tips for like parents. But I think I'd ask you before we go, is there anything you would say to either children who are in situations like the one that you're in or, you know, even parents, like what would you say to them?
1: Um. For children, I think I would I would just want to encourage them if if they're in that situation to reach out even if it seems impossible and it seems nothing is going to change and if you reach out to somebody that doesn't help you don't give up reach out to someone else and know that there are those of us out here who will stand in Between for you. And. Don't allow anybody to bully you into shutting up. Because you have the right to speak. No one. Not one single soul on this earth. Has the right. To touch you inappropriately. Or where you do not want them to do so. No one. And if that happens, speak up. There are a lot of us out here. And don't let anyone make you feel like it's your fault because it's not. It's not your fault. And for anybody that has ever been through this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you went through it, and I'm sorry that nobody listened because you deserve that, and don't be ashamed to get help if you've been through it. Don't let anybody make you feel like you're less than because you're having issues in life. Because everybody has issues. Some of them just can't admit to it. It's okay to have issues. It's okay to deal with your trauma. It's okay to get help. Don't be scared to do so. And listen to your children. You brought your children into the world. They deserve. They deserve your love. They deserve to be taken care of. They deserve to be listened to they deserve to know that they are worthy and they deserve to know that they're loved and they deserve to be taught to love themselves and care about themselves enough not to allow somebody to treat them that way and be kind just be kind kindness is so underrated You can make such a difference in someone's life by doing just a small, kind deed. So, yeah, just be kind. Listen to your kids. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to stand up. Don't be scared to stand up when people are trying to bully you. Have a voice. Let it be heard. You're not the only one.
0: Thank you, Ada. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is very, very true. I, I would add to that. Your voices are valid. Your voices are powerful. And you don't deserve this. If this is what you're living with, you didn't deserve this. No child asks for this. And as parents, listen to your children, like Ada said, hear them. Hear their cries. When they tell you something is wrong, hear them. Believe them. If somebody discloses to you that they experienced child sexual abuse or child abuse, believe them. Tell them you believe them. Let them know you're in their corner. Don't go blabbing their story around the world for everybody to know. It is not your place to do so. That is their story. Hold their story sacred. Hold it and walk with them and believe them and believe in them when they don't believe in themselves and be with them And take care of yourself so that you can walk with them, so that you can be with them, so that you can believe them, so that you can help them find a way to safety. Because here's the thing. Every child deserves safety. I don't care what community that child lives in. Every child deserves safety. And safety for children is a community thing. It is a society thing. It is a worldwide thing. And until we all join forces and work on providing safety for our children, we will not accomplish the goal of safety for all children. So I'd ask you today, what have you done and what are you doing? Are you elevating the voices of survivors of child abuse? Are you elevating the voices of survivors of child sexual abuse? Are you talking about the things that we have discovered through research that help children find safety if they are experiencing abuse? Are you reporting it? Just remember that your choices matter. You can make a difference by one simple move. You, you can make a difference. And with that being said, I'd like to thank our Patreon subscribers. I'd like to thank the Misfit Amish, And of course, all of you, our listeners, our commenters, I appreciate you. I hope y'all have a beautiful Sunday evening and we'll see y'all next time.